The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, it's the .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip with guest Phil Hack, recorded live at Mountain View, California, Monday, April 19, 2010. Carl and Richard are hitting 15 cities in three weeks, recording a new show every day. Follow them in real time online at .netrocks.com slash roadtrip. The .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip is brought to you by a handful of sponsors, including the following gold sponsor, Telerik. Deliver more than expected online at www.telerik.com. Preemptive Solutions, powered by Runtime Intelligence, online at preemptive.com. And Redgate Software, ingeniously simple tools, online at red-gate.com. Special support is being provided by the Microsoft Visual Studio team, the Windows Phone 7 team, and the Bing team who developed the Road Trip Tracker application in Silverlight 4. And now, here's Carl and Richard interviewing Phil Hack in Mountain View, California. Hey, Mountain View! Welcome to .NET Rocks! We are starting the road trip, the Visual Studio 2010 road trip in Mountain View. Hey, Richard Campbell. Well, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? We've been talking about doing this ever since the last one. Yeah, five years ago. Five years ago. And then it's been a mass panic the past couple of months trying to get everything ready. And we've actually been on the road now for over a week. Yes. Because we were at launch. We have. Uh, But it's been a lot of logistics. And uh, I'd just right off the bat like to thank Karen Bryant, our uh, office administrator for helping us with logistics. Of course, we have a lot of people to thank behind us. We've got Telerik, Preemptive Solutions, Redgate, Windows Phone 7, Visual Studio Team, Bing, Grape City, Dev Express, Quest Software, Strange Loop, Component One, and JetBrains. They've all been uh, great in supporting us. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> and of course, our esteemed guest tonight is none other than Mr. Phil Hack. Hello. Hello, Phil. Phil, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, and being our first guest, you're a brave, brave man. You had no idea what we were going to do to you at all. I had no idea. <laughs> at least everyone else is going to be able to listen to this as reference. That's right. <laughs> and But but I'm lucky because you guys have only been on the road for a week by now, and uh, they'll get you when you're 12 weeks on the road. Yeah. <laughs> when we get to, towards the end of this, we get a little more certain. It gets a little yet. more pungent. <laughs> so... Uh, Phil is our guest rock star, and uh, at every event along the road trip, we're going to have some surprise guest. And uh, we picked Phil. Surprise. We picked Phil. He's had a lot to do with uh, Visual Studio this time around. He's on the ASP.NET team at Microsoft, but has some uh, interesting insights into what happens when you ship Visual Studio 2010. That's just an enormous product. I yeah. can't imagine. 
So just to set the scope, do you guys have swag to give here? I do, I do. I'll, we okay. have lots of swag. So I, got a, I got a couple of .NET Rocks road trip t-shirts here. I have some polo shirts. I have some trivia here. That, polo shirts. There's nice. no way you could actually know this, but uh, <laughs> the answer to this, but we'll go at, throw it out there and see, see who guesses. Who guesses. So the first question I have is, how many source code files do you think went into Visual Studio 2010? So just throw out a guess. How many source Anybody? code files? Throw out a number. Okay, we got a guess of 14,000. 14, we'll stay there. We'll round it to 14,000. 750,000. 1.5 million. And 100,000. And the actual else? number is... Wait, wait, wait. 150,000. Anyone else? 25, 18 million. Who said 18 million? Okay. Now, there's an optimist for you. <laughs> or a pessimist. Hey, but 50,000? Yeah, one. <laughs> one, one we use regions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was how long does that project get to open? Macro assembler. <laughs> okay, so the actual number is one million five hundred and one thousand seven hundred eighty-two. So that wow, nailed it. The mark. Phil, a million and a half files. A million and a half files. That's crazy. I just wanted. I asked this question to set the scope to to set an idea of the scope of this project. Yeah. Uh, how many directories would you imagine those one million five hundred one thousand oh files God. are? <laughs> Every one of them in their own directory. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm thinking not one. Yes. <laughs> Slightly more than that. Anyone? Eight hundred thousand. Eight hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand. Who else? Two hundred fifty thousand, six thousand, half of a million, eighty thousand, eighty-five thousand. Yeah, one really big one. Yeah. All right. So the answer is two hundred twenty-two thousand five hundred seventy-two. Oh. That gentleman over there was closest. <laughs> yeah. Which Which one? Uh, the one over there. Who the said far corner. Thousand. There you All go. Right. Yeah. All right, one more, one more, and then we'll. Uh, we'll I'm out just of shirts. This. Oh wait a minute, oh. What, what can we give? I, a bottle of water. Let you got a bottle of water. Bottle of water. Bottle of water. <laughs> no, no, no. I got, I got. They're not allowed to have water in here. No, no, no. I know. I got. How about a a Telerik Premium Collection? Ooh. All right, that's, that's, that's for the draw later on. Oh, okay. <laughs> so can I give this away? Yeah. No. Oh, uh, you know no, what? You can't. Richard's phone. Richard's phone number? No. Uh, I don't even get that. A roll of masking tape. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know. All, all right, right, all right. No we'll prizes. Just... Give us the last number. So, uh, well, I actually have a few other stats then. So, Visual Studio 2010 had 10 external releases. The build time to do a fully signed build, what would you guess to do a fully signed build of 1.5 million source code files? How many computers are building? Yeah, that's a good uh, question. I don't know. <laughs> is it a, is it six a farm? hours. So, we got six hours. Ten hours. So uh, the answer is sixty-one hours and thirty-three minutes for a fully signed build. You got to get some faster computers over there. Well, for a test signed build, we actually brought that down to around eleven hours, I believe. Wow. So okay. that's that's interesting. Man, so uh, continuous integration kind of tricky. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it. It's, uh, and there's there were four thousand seven hundred nineteen connect bugs fixed. So these are bugs that were reported by users of Visual Studio twenty ten as we were developing it. 4,719 connect bugs that we fixed, and there are 70,000 automated UI regression tests. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So this is a huge, huge release, as you can imagine. So uh, 
Second largest project you've ever worked on? <laughs> uh, yeah, the first being my children, yes. <laughs> yeah, how many lines of code is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just one. Yeah. Hey, V1, come here. <laughs> hey, V2, stop running V1. Yeah, so I, my involvement with Visual Studio 2010 was that, uh, well, first of all, my product, the ASP.NET MVC, right. uh, was packaged as part of Visual Studio 2010, as opposed to the .NET framework, which is where you normally would get ASP.NET. Mm. Right, and, and we did a show a while ago with you on the MVC2 release. Mm -hmm. I think it was back in March. Yep. And, and Studio 2010 shipped in April. Are you in the box? That seems awful close, knowing what little <laughs> I know about about um, Microsoft products, don't you have to be ready a lot further ahead than that? Uh, usually you do, okay. but uh, we were able to pull some gymnastics and, uh, you know, uh, really scare a lot of people over there and <laughs> the guy sweating at the last end. You guys are late. Uh, yeah, we'll be there. We'll be don't there. Worry, we'll be there. Yeah, so we were what you call the, uh, an external component, so we uh, were chained into Visual Studio 2010. So one of the benefits of that is that, uh, you know, there's nobody else in Visual Studio 2010 that takes a dependency on right. our stuff. So if we come in slightly later, that's not as bad as, for example, if the CLR itself came in with a bug really late in the game. That could really affect a lot it's of different huge, teams. Yeah. yeah, that would be huge. So that helped, and we, we worked out a deal with, uh, you know, the management to make, letting them know that we were going to come in late, but we we're going to go through all the quality gates and all the various, uh, uh, procedures to make sure that we hit the high bar uh, that it takes for Visual Studio and that we would not reflect poorly on Visual Studio by being in the box. Right. So it certainly added a lot of work to, you know, my team, but uh, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll hof hopefully see the benefit in that uh, we'll get a broad, uh, much broader adoption. Because up until now, MVC has always been something you had to download and install separately. Correct. Right. And now it's it's finally in the it's box. in the box. Which yeah. is funny because I don't know that anybody actually gets the box, right? We all get MSTN <laughs> subscriptions and download an ISO. Yeah, you get a box and it's empty. <laughs> like, go to this URL. Yeah. 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 So t there's a, we were talking before the event in the cafeteria, and you were talking about this meeting that everybody brings their finished pieces to, uh, and then th there's some sort of strange process of integrating and seeing what that's all about. Explain that to us. Yeah, so you can imagine that uh, with a project this large, at some point you hit this bar, we've released a, a beta, or, or maybe, uh, yeah, we've released a beta, and we're trying to close in on what we call the end game, which is we want to ship the prod product. But, you know, bugs are still, you know, coming in at, at a certain pace, and at some point we have to start uh, raising what we call the bar. And the bar is basically... Uh, this bug needs to meet certain criteria before we say, yes, we'll fix it. Otherwise, we're going to punt it to some future release or punt it all together. And so we have this meeting we call the, sh the ship room or, uh, or tactics. And uh, I was, uh, each of the product teams send uh, a couple representatives, usually a program manager and a uh, development manager. And we sit in this uh, room with people from multiple different teams. So the languages team, the CLR team, the... Uh, WPF team, and we review every single bug, every, and we look at the bug, oh, was it reported by Connect? Okay, if it's reported by Connect, that gives it a lot more weight, for example. Because that means a, a you, an external person has found this bug. Has actually run into this problem, yeah. So it's, you know. that, that, As opposed to, oh, you know, my tester was trying out this really convoluted snare that no one would ever run into, right. well, that's not going to hold as much weight. Right. And so we look at things like, uh, well, how many customers is this going to affect? How bad is the experience? 
Uh, is there a simple workaround that people can employ, or mm -hmm. would shipping this bug just basically destroy the experience? And so we actually then review the, the actual diff of every single bug. So it, uh, at that point, we're really trying to lock down and, and land the product at a very high quality. But it's, uh, you can imagine like all these different teams coming together and sometimes, you know, you, you see a bug that's, oh, that's a CLR bug. That's going to be impactful. Whereas, you know, oh, that's say an MVC bug. That's not going to affect anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nobody uses that. Yeah. Goodness knows. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. So there are, there are times when somebody will make a, a decision that's sort of half objective and half subjective of, no, you're going to have to go back. You can't be. You can't ship. Uh, the, the, once in a while, there will be a bug where we say, uh, "Look, that's a huge change to the product. We've already shipped out a, let's say, a release candidate or an, or a beta, right? Yeah. Uh, and we don't see the huge benefit of this fix because if they just change their code in a certain way or something right. like that." Uh, the main point is that you know, there's no way for us to ship a product that has zero known bugs. There's always going to be known bugs. Right. The real question is. How bad are those bugs right. that we shipped, and and right. and do we have workarounds for them? And most of the time, uh, you know, we try to set a uh, we set a very high quality bar for uh, VS twenty ten, and and uh, the product itself was uh, you know went through a huge per performance uh, uh, phase right. where we delayed That's the product. Right. We d you delayed the product. It, that course impacted all of us. You right. know, we were planning this road trip back when the launch date was in March, mm -hmm. and when the, this whole conversation came about of. Hey, we think we're going to postpone launch. That affected, I mean, a huge number of people externally as well as internally. Yeah. What was your experience? Like, how did this come about? This delay, like, so I wasn't. What was that like? I wasn't obviously involved in that decision, no. but I, I definitely think it's one of those decisions that you look back on. You say that was a courageous decision. Yeah, I well, totally yes. agree. Yeah. And, and you know, because not only you know are you guys lined up, and all these salespeople are lined up, yeah. and everybody, you know, the whole system all the way down to the end is lined up for this release. And, uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that customers were reporting that the performance was sluggish and right. that it wasn't meeting their expectations for a snappy product. So was that surfacing in the ship room, like in, yes. in your experience? So the, yes. the, these were connect bugs being reported about performance being too sluggish. It's connect bugs, blog posts, Twitter. I mm -hmm. mean, just uh, from all various sources uh, were coming in saying that, you know, people are running to problems, plus the product teams themselves. We... Dog food, our own product from very early phase. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and you know, dog food tastes bad sometimes. <laughs> well, all the time. <laughs> are there, do the different teams that contribute to Visual Studio all have different development methodologies or are they pretty much, is there a standard agile based methodology within Microsoft that everybody tries to adhere to? I think each team pretty much adopts its own rough methodology. There's sort of the overall, uh, architecture. Uh, but I think within each team, there are teams that run, you know, pure Scrum. There are teams that run something closer to XP. And then there are teams that run, uh, you know, their own modified version of whatever it is, you know, ScrumBud right. or, uh, you know, whatever they want to call it. But they, they have their own kind of lean or, uh, style of development. And the MVC team? So we don't have a, a methodology I would put a name to, <laughs> per se. But, uh, yeah. uh, I think what we do is probably closer to, uh, it would you would put it under the agile uh, yeah. umbrella. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we don't do the uh, hardcore waterfall. Although we do do specs, but uh, a lot of times we take in you know issues as they come in and we triage them and then we uh, fix the ones that we feel are the highest priority as they come. Yeah. Well, an MVC 
you know, you're just on version two yet. It's just a young pro. How many people are working with you on MVC? So uh, I always get asked this question. I always have to count. Uh, so we have three developers now. So with MVC one, I think we had two. So now we have three developers. So moving on up, uh, one lead developer who just bosses the three developers around. And uh, <laughs> he, he used to write a ton of great code, but now he just bosses Not people anymore. around. Obviously, yeah. he has a great sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny because he just lives down the street from me. So. <laughs> if I, My house has teepee when I get back, uh, I'll, I'll, or toilet paper when I get back. I'll know. Uh, uh, one, uh, two QA uh, members uh, and, uh, and a QA lead. And then we have all the uh, other, and one PM. That's, so that's the core development uh, feature wow, crew. Very small team. And then we have uh, you know, the doc, documentation guys, so two of those. And we have the, the guys on the tooling side of things who, who do the like, ad view uh, Visual Studio features. So that's one dev, one QA, and one PM over there. As long as you brought it up, tell us about the, the Visual Studio ad view. Okay, so, uh, so with MVC, uh, well, ad view we've had since MVC 1, but we, we've added some features uh, that take advantage of Visual Studio when you're doing .NET. Uh, MVC development. So we have AdView, which uh, you right-click, uh, allows you to choose a code generation T4 template for uh, against the model. So if I select my product model and I can say I want to generate a list uh, view, it will spit out some code that does a for loop over all the products and, and displays each of the columns. Uh, we also have uh, a new add area dialog that's new to MVC2 because the area's feature is new to MVC2. And you right-click and you select Add Area, and what it does is it creates a, a section of your site that's almost a self-contained uh, MVC subsite, so to speak. So within an area, you have your uh, controllers and you have your views, and you can even have models specific to the area if you want, and and that uh, kind of delineates a section of your site. So that it's really good if you're going to organize a really large site, let's say my site, and then I have an area for blogs, an area for forums, and so on. Uh, adoption of ASP.NET MVC, have you have, do you have any stats on that or rough ideas? Uh, I don't have any stats. I know we have, uh, we have I can't remember what stats are public or not, but I, I don't have a lot of stats on that. Um, I do know that there, I, I get a lot of attention. I, recently, uh, Starbucks.com, for example, is migrated to MVC 1.0. Oh, wow, um, uh, Dell.com is planning to redo their entire Dell.com in, in MVC 2, and they want me to t let you know that they're hiring uh, developers. Uh, looking for MVC developers. They're looking for MVC developers. Well, Microsoft developers, because they integrate with SharePoint and with you know all kinds of WCF. and so. But the front end is going to be ASP.NET MVC 2. You know, before we move on, speaking of hiring, I just forgot to mention Falafel Software. Who paid for dinner tonight? They're looking for SharePoint developers. Lino Tadros is right here. Lino, thank Thanks you. Thanks for dinner. Thanks for dinner. And if you're a Silverlight uh, guy, you want to talk to Lino. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, whose RAD controls outperform all others. Are you experiencing performance hits when handling millions of records with your Silverlight grid? Have you been frustrated by the amount of XAML code it takes to create a control template? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your app performance. And of course, there's no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building RAD controls for Silverlight, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution. Through UI and data virtualization, data sampling, and content recycling, 
Rad controls help you deliver unbeatable performance with your Silverlight apps. You can check out Telerik Silverlight Grid handling 50 million cells as a piece of cake or Rad Chart working seamlessly with a million records. Just go to Telerik.com slash Silverlight slash performance for details. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. They truly make this show possible. We were told back in the beginning of MVC that this would probably be a small adoption product. It was sort of a specialized thing. But it <laughs> seems to me like it's really caught on as a, as a different mindset on building, on building web apps on the Microsoft stack. Yeah. Who told you that? I think it was Guthrie. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, if he said it, then. It must be true, right? <laughs> but uh, it, but well, it, it, I, re- I remember early on. Uh, there was Hans- that sense that it was a niche thing. Yeah. I remember early on, Hanselman went on stage and said, this will only interest 5% of you. And what I told people was that he was talking about an early preview, right? You know, <laughs> not everyone wants to go to the preview. So right. yeah, 5% of you might be interested in the preview. Yeah. But, uh, I think, I think what we're finding is that it's a much broader audience than we anticipated initially. Right. Um, you know, f- for, on one hand, we're targeting the, uh, more the higher end developer. But anytime you tell someone, uh, that, uh, we're talking, are you a higher end developer? They'll tell you yes. Right. right? Yeah, so like every ninety percent of people are above average drivers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or, uh, someone said it to me today. Is like the the sad truth of math is that fifty percent of people are below average. Yeah. And the truth about psychology is that eighty percent of those people think they're above average. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, we're really targeting a higher end developer. But what we found is that for a lot of developers who didn't grow up in the web forms model, who right. did either classic ASP or or PHP or Rails, that uh, when they are approached with a .NET project, they find the MVC pattern, uh, MVC framework, uh, a lot easier for them to grok because it fits their conception and model of how a website should be developed. Right. Uh, whereas if you came from a more rich designer-oriented, uh, you know, control-oriented background, you'd really like web forms. Right. Well, yeah. I always thought that web forms was just trying to bring bring win forms to the web. Yeah. With the good and the bad of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with web forms. It's just a different way of of uh, thinking about programming. Yeah, some of my best friends are web form developers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's nice to see that that the third party vendors are starting to make MVC controls. So yes. you know, that was the whole thing about yeah. the strike against MVC. It was, oh, you're going to be out there by yourself. Yeah, you know, there's no help. But you, there is seem to seem to be an ecosystem now growing around MVC. And some really cool things have come out of MVC that got into the product, right? Like, the, uh, yeah, like routing. 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 Everybody yeah. loves routing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the controls because uh, one of the benefits of, of taking a model, a uh, web development model that fits closer to, you know, just how the web is, mm-hmm. is that because we don't have some of these control abstractions, you can take things from other uh, frameworks, uh, from other communities, and use them very easily in MVC. So one thing you'll see is a lot of examples out there of using uh, maybe jQuery grid or, or mm-hmm. ext.js nice. grids or what, all these different con- components that are really client-side or Ajax components, and you find it's very easy to integrate with a controller action as the, the server side of that. So I think that uh, is one of the benefits uh, that you get with the MVC approach as well, is that it's very easy to incorporate that. Silverlight support, access, you know, doing a Silverlight application and an MVC on the back end, what's that like? So right now, the, the way I look at the Silverlight in an MVC application is that, you know, any any app that has Silverlight in it has has to have a host, right? And that yeah. host is just a web page, right? Yeah. Uh, where I see um, 
there's sort of two different models of building a Silverlight app I, that I see. One is where the Silverlight is the app. Mm -hmm. and, and for that, you might look at uh, RIA data services as being the, the development model for that. Yeah. And the other approach is where you th see little islands of Silverlight is almost in the same way you would use islands of Ajax, right? right. right. So you have this web page, and instead of a Ajax grid, you use a uh, or Ajax menu, you use a Silverlight menu. Right. In that case, I think the model just works the same way it would work with Ajax. Sure. Um, where you don't get all the state management and all that kind of thing that you typically like Silverlight for. Yeah, you just have that Silverlight component make asynchronous requests back to the server right. just like Ajax would. Right. Uh, one of the things I, I recently wrote a blog post on was how to uh, hand, handle receiving JSON-encoded data uh, from the client. So if you can imagine that uh, maybe the Silverlight code is sending JSON objects back and forth rather than form uh, encoded data, mm -hmm. then you could uh, uh, use this thing that we have in our features library and, and receive JSON objects and have it model bind with validation to your strongly typed objects. Now, if you don't know what that means, then uh, you, know, you can read my blog post and yeah. <laughs> it'll explain it. Tell us about, um, I mean, you've, you've, you haven't been in Microsoft for... Well, you've been there for a few years, but before that, you've, you've, uh, you're from the area, right? You're from California? Uh, yeah, so, yes, I, I'm from L.A. before I moved to uh, Let's Redmond. hear the story. Let's hear the Phil Hack story. <laughs> the Phil Hack story? Mm -hmm. Yeah, how'd you get started in this crazy business? So, uh, I start. wow, wow. So, going in my time machine, let's yeah. see. So, I started back in 97, uh, no, wait, wait, 97? Yeah, 97. Can't even remember how old I am. So I started back in '97 at a little company called Sequoia Softworks, right out of college. And this was going to be Sequoia. Sequoia. Sounds familiar, Sequoia. Uh, so it's not not associated with the uh, venture capital. Not the venture fund. capital yeah. firm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I uh, I just remember this because I was like looking for a job right out of college, way back in the day, just before the internet really took off, and I wanted to uh, you know uh, we're all do a little programming work because I kind of liked it in college and uh, eh. I liked it growing up and I'll do that for a couple years and then I'll go back to school and you know and do a serious like get a real job yeah no no I was going to be an academic I was oh, going to go get my PhD in mathematics right nice. that's I, I just need to you know pay off my bills for a little bit right yeah, yeah. of course you know then I joined this company and we're like yeah we're using this new thing called ASP active server pages yeah. it's really really cool you can you don't have to write these CGI scripts in C. You can actually just use the scripting language right. in HTML. It's so uh, easy. Yeah, and I, I just remember when I interviewed, it's like, uh, yeah, I heard of something called Perl. You know, like, <laughs> I, I knew absolutely nothing about wow. web development other huh. than I had written a little bit of HTML. Huh. And I learned everything on the job. I just remember the first time I uh, opened an ADODB.record set. You know, I, certainly I forgot to close. Uh, you didn't no. close it. Yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, given. Yeah, so I got the infinite <laughs> loop. But just the idea of like being able to post uh, information to a database and retrieve it. I mean, it was and, and dynamically generated page. It was like mind blowing. It's, yeah. Uh, and then for, I was there for several years. Worked my way up to development manager there, and then I joined uh, uh, Univision, so the Spanish uh, language television oh, station. Yes. Sardo uh, Gigantico. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, from there I went to uh, Coder. Uh, no, I started my own company with a, a friend where we did software consulting. Uh, I went to, oh, actually before that I went to Skill Jam. So I did, uh, Skill. you guys ever hear Skill Jam? No. So back in the day they were a uh, casual gaming company 
uh, but like casual games like Bejeweled and stuff, the kind of things that right. 30 year old oh. moms who okay. are actually our biggest audience, yeah. not, not the hardcore gamers, yeah, yeah. would play, but uh, you play for money. Uh, and it was, huh. and we were legal in most of the states <laughs> because it, it's not gambling because gambling requires games a chance. Right. You know, certain states you couldn't play. <laughs> huh. And so uh, I worked uh, there doing uh, development management and backend development. You know, so we had our player that communicated through sockets, and then from there started my own company, did consulting for a little while, and then I joined Coders with a K. And Coders uh, built an open source uh, search engine. So we, where we searched open source software. I remember that product. I remember hearing about that at least. I think I played with it a little bit, but you was actually being able to search for certain constructs and it would find you projects that were doing those. Yeah, it's still up there. If you go mm -hmm. to coders.com, it was bought by, I think, Black Duck Software. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you go there, you can uh, you know, just type in like a name of a class or uh, filter on languages. And so the search engine was online, search indexed all the major open source repositories. But the product we sold uh, would uh, you'd run it in house and index your internal software right. uh, repository, so you guys could you know avoid duplicate code by doing searches and such. Interesting idea, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Well, searching code in general is kind of you know don't search for a semicolon. It's a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> just, just saying. You might so, find a few. So when did you hook up with Jeff Atwood? <laughs> you guys know about that? Yeah, <laughs> we've seen the pictures, man. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, when I was, so uh, my friend Mike and I started this company called uh, uh, Velocity, and we hired John Galloway. So ah. I don't know if you've heard yeah, of him. Yeah, mm -hmm. we know John. And then uh, I was in talks with Jeff Atwood because I really wanted to hire him to join our virtual team. So we were uh, we had pretty much the whole you know uh, California coast locked up because John was in San Diego, I was in LA, and my uh, partner Micah was in uh, the Bay Area, mm -hmm. and we wanted to get Atwood on the team, and he was really considering it, but. He felt that uh, if he worked from home, he'd be such a hermit. Like he he liked his he liked his job at the time because it forced him to interact with people. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but through that time, you know, we became even though he didn't join us, we became good friends. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, th just through our blogs and just through the open source community uh, and, and the blogging community. Mm -hmm. And uh, every time you know uh, we go to conferences and see each other, you know, it's like old times. Yeah. And uh, well, you never went to Vertigo, but. Jeff did, and so did John, although they've now both left. Yep. Yeah, so Jeff was at Vertigo when I tried to hire him. Oh, I so see. So don't tell Scott Stansfield that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Scott, Scott being the, the I won't CEO. say anything, the CEO yeah. of, of Vertigo, right. So i got to hear the story of uh, getting recruited into the uh, Scott Guthrie's Ninja Army. <laughs> so while at, uh, at Coders, I was on a, a VSIP. You guys know mm -hmm. that the Visual, yeah, Visual Studio, Studio Integration Program. Yeah, I was on a trip to Microsoft uh, to um, uh, for coders because we have a plugin that runs in Visual Studio, so you can search through Visual Studio. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go wander the halls of Building 42 just because you know that's where all the magic happens. And so I was walking around, and I ran into Scott Guthrie, and he's like, hey. <laughs> so you hit in that certain wave of his, right? He's like, hey, Phil, why don't you come by uh, at four o'clock? I, I got something to show you. It's like, cool, you know, that's really cool. I'll hey, Scott Guthrie out. knows my name. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. cool right there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I came by his office, and that's when he showed me the first, uh, like, version of MVC that it was in the prototype phase, you know, right. where he's, like, public, you know. This is before we had the action results, like, public void, some method, and when you call the URL like this, it calls that method. And I, I looked at that, and I was like, oh, 
this is awesome. Because <laughs> I, I actually been was doing Rails development at Coders, and I was like, oh, you know, it's familiar, but I'm I'm excited to see this coming to the Microsoft yeah, space right, because right. I, I really enjoyed doing C Sharp and .NET development. Mm. So as soon as I wrote that line of code on the board, I said, okay, how can I work on that? I want to work on that. That's exactly what I told him. <laughs> he had you, just like that. <laughs> yeah, he had me at uh, public void. <laughs> Hello world. Yeah. So awesome. I, uh, so I, we got the ball rolling and, uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. That's awesome. Well, the story. It's a phenomenal story. And, and then, it, it's funny what Guthrie's done in the past few years. I mean, you, you're part of that, uh, Scott Hanselman, uh, Rob Connery. Uh, there's a whole group of guys that all, it's like he changed the way that Microsoft ships software. That Silverlight is, I guess, one of the greatest examples of this. Mm-hmm. This whole out of band approach. Yeah, where, lots yeah. of, lots of updates coming at you yeah. all the time. Yeah. It, things happen so quickly. <laughs> We're all confused, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, there, we do get a bit of backlash on that because things come out so quickly that people, you know, they're like, wow, you just released MVC 1 and now, or we just released MVC 2 and I'm still not yet, you know, finished with MVC 1. Book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Although at least MVC 2, like I said, was in the box, which I was pretty excited about because yep. Silverlight, you know, we've had this terrible piece of confusion right now where Silverlight 4 shipped at the same time as Visual Studio 2010. But Silverlight Force on the box with Studio 2010 and yeah. Silverlight 3. And then yeah. those poor WinPhone 7 guys who had a sort of version, of, a sort of Silverlight 3 with some 4 stuff in it, but it only works with the RC. And now that we've RTM, they can't build it all. To, yeah. Uh, yeah. To quote Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a constant tension between uh, agility and, and being out of band and being in the box and right. providing an integrated experience. And, uh, you know, there's some teams that where it really make it's natural to be in the box, whereas other teams like our team, it just didn't make sense to be like all the way in the box. So right. we found this really interesting thing, uh, which is not really done all that often because nobody knew, you know, how we fit into all the established procedures. Where we're like halfway in, right? We're in the Visual Studio product box, so to speak, but we're not in the .NET framework, right? Which causes a little bit of confusion because if I have a server with .NET four and I deploy an MVC app to it, I have to make sure I include the MVC assemblies, right? Because we're not already there. Right. But if I'm a developer and I download and install Visual Studio and do File New, I'll see MVC2 project template right there. Yeah. And so that's a really nice compromise where we certainly added on a bit of overhead uh, in order to get in the box. Right. But at the same time, we didn't lose our agility, as, as you guys mentioned, where we could continue development much later uh, than the rest of the entire product. Well, and it, and it sounds like you're, I've seen that the MVC team especially is very interactive with the community. Even after you've shipped a version, you're still talking about next features. Like it seems like you get a ton of feedback and implement a lot of it. You, of course, you've only done it twice. So <laughs> well, maybe version three will stop listening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I, I think it's been a, a big part of the model that we're seeing in a lot of feature teams mm-hmm. who are adopting more of this uh, transparent model of development and kind of taking cues from the open source world right. where, uh, whereas the open source world has the extreme of you have the daily builds all out there. Uh, you know, we have these maybe monthly or bi-weekly builds that we put out there. Uh, we, you know, work really closely with the community and, and that's been essential to our success, I think. Uh, well, I know because uh, there have been several cases where we've made significant design changes based on user feedback. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we really appreciate the, all the feedback that we get. 
Um, another area that I think, you know, you guys were talking about Scott Guthrie's impact uh, in terms of like the development style, but also you have to look at how uh, our approach uh, and our outlook towards open source has changed a lot. And that's yeah, something that that's I'm true. very excited about, having come from an open source background. Right. right. So, uh, you know, one thing you guys might probably know that uh, not only do we ship jQuery and jQuery validation in the box with Visual Studio, with MVC2 and Visual Studio, but uh, that jQuery is going to be um, pretty much the thing we, the story for Ajax on the ASP.NET platform wow. moving forward. That's great. So that's huge. That is huge. And now jQuery is a, an open source product. Is Microsoft making contributions to jQuery now too? Uh, the we're trying to. Uh, so the, we uh, have written a client templating library that's a jQuery plugin that we're working with the jQuery team on this. Right. But we're going through their process. So, right. So when you you know when you, it's not like we can just say, hey, we're Microsoft, the eight hundred pound gorilla. Here, take this and yeah. you'll like it. No, we're 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 following you know we're following the way their community works. And so they could reject it, but we're trying to work very closely with you know John Resig and his team, right? Uh, in such a way that hopefully you know by the time we get to that point, they'll accept it because you know they were involved the whole time, right? What's the relationship between uh, between jQuery and and OData? jQuery and OData. That's yeah. an interesting question. <laughs> uh, I don't really know. Um, I'm you know it's starting to come back. So OData, well. Briefly, OData is a, a format, um, a protocol for exposing services or objects over the web mm -hmm. in a JSON-like format, right? Yeah. And so, uh, which is really cool. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not heavily involved in the client libraries. Mm. I imagine that there's probably a jQuery plugin for OData already mm. out there. I just haven't been too involved in that. Yeah, OData looks really, really cool to me. The it's sort of if you take RSS or Atom, which is a little bit more robust. And had the ability to query through yeah. the URL syntax. You could do complete CRUD uh, style applications just using the data protocol. And it's everywhere now. It's in, yeah, I think like Netflix allows you to query their feeds. And yes. you, you basically compose like link style queries through yeah. the URL. And yeah. you can get compose their entire catalog and, and run uh, nearly arbitrary queries against it, which is yeah. really cool. It is cool. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like you can get in all kinds of trouble with that. But that's every good technology has that feature in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you could get in all kinds. Well, one of the things is you control, as the person who, is, the developer who's exposing your data to these services, mm -hmm. you control what uh, is allowed. It's not like, oh, flip a switch and everything's exposed, and that's, right. you know, opening the kimono to the world, right? right. It's, not, it's not like that. You can, you know, tighten it down, ratchet it up, however you want to do it. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. The uh, Gemini. You know the the, the uh, Excel business uh, analysis stuff uses those data. It's great stuff. Um, what's next for you? What are you working on now? Uh, so uh, obviously, I'm working on ASP.NET MVC three, uh, kind of in the early planning stages and getting that ramped up. Uh, I've been working on some other secret projects uh, on the ASP.NET team as well that, that hopefully we'll be able to talk about sometime soon. Uh, that's been kind of fun and. Uh, you know, trying to also in my spare time, still trying to get Subtext three out or right. two point five yeah, out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is an open source blog engine, and uh, working on the second ed edition of the ASP.NET book as well. Man, wow! When do you sleep? Uh, <laughs> I don't. And little kids to boot. <laughs> uh, yeah, and two little kids, uh, Cody who's two and a half, and Mia who's six months. Oh my goodness! What is your favorite feature of MVC two? 
My favorite feature of MVC two. The coolest thing when you when you say when somebody says impress me with MVC two. Wow, that's a good question. Uh, you know, the one I really like is the the validation infrastructure, especially the client validation. Uh, the way that it it kind of pipes all the way down from annotating your models with validation attributes and having that float all the way up to the client without having to write client-specific code in order to validate your object. So to give you an idea, if you have a product object and you have a title and you say string length attribute, uh, you know, 20, so meaning that it can't be more than 20 characters. And you also add a required attribute to say this field is required. Now you uh, you know render out use one of our templated helpers like HTML.EditorForModel and it will dy dynamically generate based using reflection uh, an, an input form for that thing. Hmm. You type uh, using uh, enable client validation. Now when you type uh, type into that field and let's say you clear the field and you'll get uh, immediate response with the hmm. client side validation. Nice. So uh, you know all that client side validation is driven off of the metadata on your model. And wow. not only that, that metadata is ex is uh, exposed in such a way that if you have your own metadata system, like you want to store it in a database or some mm. other, or using, uh, let's say, castle validation, mm. uh, we've completely abstracted how we get that uh, those attributes off of the object. So you can uh, use it with your own metadata store. So if you don't like attributes, you can store that metadata elsewhere, and the client validation will still work because it's going against an abstraction. Seems much more clean than the the ASP.NET, uh, you know, web form validators. Yeah, the, the problem with the validator controls is that those are duplicating logic that you already have on your model, ostensibly, right. where yeah. you, you have that validation logic in your product class, and now you have to also add that validator on your client. So with this uh, system, you don't have to do that. Well, it's all very well if those two things are the same. The moment they aren't the same, then you're in big trouble. Yeah, so they would rather write them once than have it show up everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Can you validate against regex expressions too? Yeah, so built in we have uh, required string length, range, and regex. Nice. And then uh, we have support. Regex just covers a host of stuff. Yeah, regex right? pretty much gets you everything all, else. Yeah, all 80% of the way home. Yeah. And then we have the ability to uh, hook in client validation uh, to your own custom attributes as well. Hmm. Very cool. Yes. Well, uh, we're just about out of time. We're keeping these shows a little bit shorter than usual. So I'd like to thank Phil Hack, our esteemed guest. Give him a big round of applause. Thanks, Phil. We'll see you next time on Dotnet Rocks. Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.